0: I'm Aspet David Medzorian of Aradat Lodge No. 1 here in Boston, welcoming you to episode 42 of Talking Vartan, the Knights and Daughters of Vartan podcast. I hope you're enjoying these winter months wherever you happen to be. Here in Massachusetts, it's been a winter of very little snowfall, some pretty mild days actually, and only a few days where we've asked ourselves, can it really get any colder than this? I know some of you have had to deal with bitter cold, lots of snow, and even torrential rain in some areas, but take heart, spring is less than a month away. Well, we have a lot to talk about on this episode of Talking Vartan, and later on we'll have all you need to know about this summer's Grand Convocation, which this year will be right here in Boston, come July. But first, something we've all been concerned about this winter, and that is the ongoing crisis in Artsakh, which began on December 12th. The blockade there continues, Azerbaijan blocking the only access road between Artsakh and Armenia, preventing the distribution of humanitarian aid, and also disrupting the supply of natural gas and electricity from Armenia. Osbed Aram Arkun from Ararat Lodge is managing editor of the Armenian Mirror Spectator, which is published here in Boston. And I talked to him about the continuing blockade in Artsakh and its repercussions throughout the diaspora. Aram, this week the world is paying a great deal of attention to the first anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the beginning of that war and yet the Armenians and the citizens of Artsakh now since December have been in a situation that uh, one can only describe as dire. The access roads to Armenia cut off, supplies, humanitarian supplies uh, not getting there, and it's the same going both ways. Uh, Artsakh uh, citizens not able to get to Armenia, and Armenians not able to get to Artsakh. First, I want to ask you before anything, because I know that you and the the Armenian Mirror Spectator have been reporting on this since it began. What have been the challenges of finding out exactly what's going on over there, particularly on the Artsakh side? Do you have any correspondents who are in Artsakh? Or what has been the challenge of getting accurate information of what really is happening?
1: Well, we have a... Well, first of all, thank you for having me on on this podcast. It's always a pleasure to be with a fellow Aspet. I would say we have a number of sources that we rely on for reporting news from Artsakh or Karabakh. We did have several natives of Karabakh who were periodically writing for us, but unfortunately these were young people who, you know, were periodically writing and they kind of moved on to other things. The second set of sources would be whatever we get from Artsakh TV because we had signed an agreement with public television, which allows us to use their material in Armenian, and we basically have somebody who is our video correspondent in Washington, Haigar Amnahabedyan, who does a nice job of uh, editing and uh, subtitling or captioning in English reports. Every so often over the last couple of months, we have had reports from them, which are video reports as well as written reports, first-hand reports which show some of the effects of Uh, on daily life in Artsakh of this blockade. We also have periodically done interviews. I've interviewed the human rights defender of Artsakh. I've interviewed the relatively new state minister of Artsakh, Ruben Vartanyan. And so obviously they have uh, direct information about what's going on. You mentioned... Artsakh Television, have
0: they informed you about any impedance on their part in terms of being able to get their own information and get it out to the citizens of
1: Artsakh? Well, they are still able to operate evidently internally. Obviously, they have a number of constrictions on, on what they're doing. But so far, they seem to still be uh, operational as far as I know. I suspect now, you know, because there's shortages of uh, of gas or petrol for vehicles that they can't get around as, as much as, as before. So I think that probably their provincial reporting may suffer as, as a result.
0: You mentioned your recent conversation with uh, Minister Vartanyan, and I know that you spoke to us at Ararat Lodge about that during our last uh, get-together prior to our meeting. But uh, for those of our ospeds and for our daughters who are listening throughout the country who may not have had a chance to read your fine reporting on that conversation, capsulize it a little
1: bit. What was he telling you, and what is his outlook for the future? He... Uh It was, as I read it, guardedly optimistic, uh, but at the same time concerned about the long-term effects of this blockade. His concern was not so much just the material effects of the blockade in the short term. He was confident that the uh, resilient people of Artsakh have the willpower as well as the means to get through This winter, they also have some, you know, limited reserves and supplies, and they do receive a small amount of things through the Russians and the International Red Cross. However, the long term effects are very dire. And he, to summarize, it's everything from, you know, the shortages or intermittent interruptions in electricity and gas, meaning basically. Little heating and the dire winter conditions make it impossible for children to go to school and get an education. It has forced at least, I, uh, I don't remember the exact number, maybe like 10, 12,000 people who work in arts off adults to be forced to close their shops or businesses. So they are deprived of a means of earning their livelihood and, and supporting their families. It prevents the right of free movement which is uh, one of the key human rights acknowledged by the UN and others. It also prevents Armenians who need certain types of medical treatments, let's say uh, special medicaments, or who need surgery or you know specific types of operations from receiving that treatment unless there's some special exception made and the peacekeepers can kind of uh, smuggle them out of Artsakh. In other words, hospitals have stopped doing surgeries and major things. Usually people would go to Yerevan to Armenia, to bigger hospitals there, and that's not possible. So in other words, there are all kinds of impediments. But the biggest problem in his view is that this is politically motivated blockade, which is attempting to uh, dissuade the natives, the people living in in Artsakh from staying there. Basically, it wants to demoralize them and kind of encourage them to to leave and depopulate the area. And that would be a very easy way of conducting ethnic cleansing. It would be an easy way of gaining control of this territory because it would... Presumably, one is uh, not just presuming, but based on the statements of even the highest uh, level leaders of the Azerbaijani government, the way is open if Armenians want to leave Artsakh. The way is closed, the the other way in. So this was his major concern or fear that this pressure is something that is taking away the rights uh, of the people of Artsakh for basic human rights, the right to decide where they live, where they can Move and uh, ultimately to force them to capitulate to accept the complete rule of Azerbaijan. And he, in return, says that this is something that they will not do. And he also is prepared to stay, you know, and in his position. And uh, one other thing he mentioned, which I don't think I mentioned in the article, is that. He himself is cut off from his own family. He said that this Christmas, this, these holidays were the first that he spent uh, lo- separated from his his family uh, because they also are unable because of the blockade to, to come in or presumably they came in to go out. So he kind of had to spend the holidays alone.
0: What does your reporting tell you about the months to come? I know it's very difficult to forecast either militarily or politically what the end result of this will be, but we're already at two months now this has been going on. And
1: right now, at this moment, no end in sight. Correct. It's been over two months. and. Presumably, this is a tool that the Azerbaijanis will use as long as no one forcefully intervenes. And we we don't see any forceful intervention in sight. We see a lot of nice statements from European Union countries, from France, from the United States, even from Russia sometimes calling for uh, free movement for the Lachin Corridor, which connects Armenia and Artsakh to be accessible. But these are only statements and they don't seem to have any teeth in it. And that's why the people of Artsakh and Vartanian himself have called on Armenians living abroad to be their voice in their stead and to call on our governments to actually put some teeth in those statements, to call for sanctions, number one, against Azerbaijan if it continues in its current course, and number two, to try to break that blockade through some sort of humanitarian action, whether it's an airlift or, if that's not possible, through use of of the corridor by presumably protected international bodies.
0: Well, there are many organizations, ours included, the Knights and Daughters of Varzan, who are certainly uh, gathering material, raising funds, and are ready to bring whatever humanitarian aid they can to Artsakh. but again,
1: they don't open that road nothing's going anywhere. That's correct. There is, I mean, in the short term, for example, the Tekean Cultural Association of the United States and Canada, which I also happen to be executive director, was in touch with the Artsakh government, and they asked us to provide, instead of gathering supplies, directly send money that we raise or that we have as aid, and that money helps poor families because there still are, supplies even though are shortages of a lot of things and some things don't exist but people can still survive but the poorer families don't have the finances the means to buy let's say the various goods that that they need inflation as you might imagine in such a situation is very dire so people are raising the prices of what little is left there. So that's one way. But yes, I agree there doesn't seem to be an end in sight unless very firm action is is taken and consequences are felt by Azerbaijan for these actions. Very hard to guess what the result will be because there are many international political factors at play and ultimately, you know, these are may, uh, global or regional factors that, sometimes, that we don't have direct control of or even influence sometimes on, and they could change at any moment. Our hope is that, I guess, on the one hand, the Armenia and Artsakh won't be forced into an untenable a final a legal agreement or a peace treaty that would be very detrimental to the interests of, of the Armenian people and that they can last it out until things change for the better but how they will change for the better i mean there are many possibilities and we can try working for pressuring our government here in the u.s or in in canada to and indeed try to because we do have the u.s has a lot of potential leverage on both azerbaijan and allied turkey potential potential leverage if we so choose to use it unfortunately it doesn't seem very likely right now that we will use it because this is again American politics you know, has a certain direction. It's wow. not easy to change. We as Armenians, we're part of the U.S., but we you know, are not the decisive factor, and our votes are relatively small, and we can have our voice heard, uh, but when all things are calculated, probably the executive branch chooses whatever it, it chooses, and those broader interests, whether it's oil, gas, or geopolitical strategy, sometimes are working against us. It's been very heartbreaking because, as I'm sure you do too,
0: um, I know people who are living, right now I have a very dear friend who lives in uh, Bert in the Tavush province, and uh, this person has relatives who are living in Artsakh, and they cannot see one another. They can't even communicate all the time because there are times when Internet connections are gone, telephone reception is not uh, is minimal at best at times, and yet this person has told me, that when they do hear from their relatives, they always try to put on as positive a face as possible and say we're okay. You know, we're we're it's been rough, but we're okay, and uh, we will survive. And that is the word that is most commonly used: that we will survive. But how sad that it has to be that way, that their very survival is at stake here. So. I know that uh, we have had countless demonstrations uh, throughout, uh, well, both Europe but also now recently here in the United States over this. We had one, in fact, uh, here in the Boston area just a matter of days ago, and uh, there have been others in New York and in California and other parts of the country. Do they really make a difference, though?
1: Yes, they're getting the word out, but how much of a difference are they really making? Well, I do think they make some difference because it shows the degree of I don't want to say agitation, but concern and anxiety of the american Armenian community, and that in turn involves other people as well so I think yes, they don't they're not decisive at all, but they are a way of communicating outside of just contacting our representatives of telegraphing basically our message i mean in the bigger picture, frankly, you know they as I mentioned, they're much more powerful factors that will be decisive. But on the other hand, it can't hurt that we're doing this and it could have some help. Uh, the thing is that it's very hard because the uh, alignment of American politics is, is such that the focus, as you mentioned, is on the Ukraine war and it's very anti-Russian in nature. We have to break through uh, sort of preconceptions about Armenia's political alliance or connection with, with Russia. and uh, to do that is difficult because it's a fine line we tread because Armenia really has no choice but to rely on the presence of Russian troops at at the moment both in Artsakh as well as even in Armenia and there is a very real possibility we have to consider that you know Armenia itself is at risk so i think being for our community being mobilized it's a good thing i mean i think there are uh, a number of things that we can do, and demonstrating alone is is not certainly going to be decisive, but I think we have many a variety of tools at our disposal. This is one of them, and also you know we have every one of us have different talents and interests, and some of us really are good at you know at doing these sorts of demonstrations, and we get more involved because we're having them. I have to say in, in Boston, I would have liked to have seen. B- bigger media coverage. I don't know, the only non-Armenian media, obviously we covered it at the Mirror Spectator, but it was uh, uh, NBC10, did have very short coverage, but it was not an ideal coverage for a variety of reasons. And, you know, we didn't get coverage elsewhere. But the fact that we have it, and the fact that at least local representatives were present, political representatives, they're aware of it. And in turn, other non-Armenians like You know, Reverend Laura Everett of the Massachusetts Council of Churches was present, and many of our friends who are leaders of Jewish organizations there. The fact that they came, that I think is is significant. And ultimately, this isn't going to be the only attempt that we make. And our focus is more on federal, should be getting our federal representatives to take action, because they are the ones who have the power to actually have and have some influence on the situation so yes it's a complicated situation we don't really have we're not in a position to really be in any way decisively controlling anything but we we can help both by sending money we can help by if the road is open by sending aid, but even now sending money and voicing the concerns and making sure that in the media, if we write letters to the media, if we call into the media, as well as to our government representatives, we can hopefully have this issue not be totally ignored in view of all the other things, including the earthquake that took place, which is a a tragedy, but is, overwhelming in a different sense.
0: Indeed it is. And of course, uh, we will have more on the efforts that are being made by the Knights and Daughters of Vartan, our fundraising campaign to uh, raise money to help the people of Artsakh. So stay tuned for that. I'll have that in just a short while. You mentioned uh, the demonstrations in Boston and elsewhere. Every April, of course, Armenians around the world pause to remember the victims of the 1915 genocide, the one and a half million who, who died at the hands of the Ottoman Turks. That also happens here in Boston with uh, a special program at the uh, State House. Given what is happening this year in Artsakh, what effect do you think it will have on that? Because now it's no—it's not just a matter of remembering what happened 106 years
1: ago. Yes, I mean there are some several aspects to this. Um, number one, of course, you know we're not literally in the course of genocide right now, but we do fear that down the road that could happen. In other words, this could be a prelude. We see both. Now, dangerous signs of of what Azerbaijani leaders uh, are thinking in a very racist way about Armenians, the devaluing Armenian life, and also Armenia itself uh, has been subject to after the 2020 war. Tw- uh, yeah, 2020 war has been subject to. Uh, a number of further incursions by Azerbaijani forces which have taken control of commanding heights and positions on actual territory of the Republic of Armenia today. And those are strategically located in areas that might be subject to attack if Azerbaijan wants to physically seize the so-called or corridor in other words they want they believe that they have the right to take territory that would bisect southern armenia or zhangazur sunik and uh, that would be a disastrous situation which could lead ultimately to you know even the loss of the republic or you know even a semi or genocidal situation and literally that danger exists and uh we if the out bigger powers don't do anything about this this is a very real possibility we have to be concerned about and on the alert so coming to april 24th this year uh certainly the focus always of course is remembering what happened because that this commemoration is about an event that has affected all of our lives are many Armenian Americans here, as as well as throughout the world, and we never want to forget that. At the same time, if we are indeed in such dire straits, I'm pretty sure that there, that, that will be reflected in some way in the theme and the... Approach of the speakers this year. Uh, we're still working on. I also happen to be, as you know, I guess part of the committee that works on organizing this and the State, uh, House, the the State, House, State House, House in Boston. Yes, committee. Of course. Uh, so it's very likely that we will see, uh, unless something changes, you know, by April. I think it will be reflected, and there will be some combination of dealing with both issues at once.
0: A very very. Serious time for Armenians throughout the world, and one in which we all need to be paying very close attention to uh, what is happening not only uh, in Artsakh and in Armenia, but in Armenian communities throughout the world, because it affects us all. So, Aram Arkun, thank you so much. I appreciate your time.
1: Thank you. Always a pleasure.
0: My special thanks to Asped Aram Arkun, managing editor of the Armenian Mira Spectator. The Knights and Daughters of Artsan are asking you and yours to join our call to action for Artsakh. We're raising money to purchase both food and essential supplies to send to our brothers and sisters in Artsakh. The materials will be stored and then distributed to those who need them as soon as the blockade in Artsakh has been lifted and vehicles are allowed to pass through. We desperately need your help. To send money is very simple. Simply go to our website at kofv.org and on the home page is the link where you can donate to the Call to Action for Artsakh Fund. You'll find that same link on the Knights and Daughters of Vartan Facebook page and on the Talking Vartan Facebook page. Just $25 will purchase food and essential items for one family for an entire week. $100 will provide one month's worth of food and essentials for a single family or one week of food and essentials for four families. Please give what you can and help our Armenian brothers and sisters in Artsakh. who are now struggling just to survive. Every dollar will make a difference. So please give what you can and thank you. Well, we've been busy here at Ararat Lodge in Boston, for we have a big get-together to plan for this summer, and we hope you'll be a part of it. Our 2023 Grand Convocation is just over four months away. Can you believe it? Knights and Daughters from across the USA will join us here in Boston during that first week in July. Yep, we're talking 4th of July week. How great will that be? Now, last year, many of you took the highway to LA, to the Grand Convocation in Glendale, California. Now, as this is not the first time that Boston has hosted the Grand Convocation, and because our Talij was the very first Knights of Vartan Talij, this year's event will be a return to Ararat. Just before our most recent Grand Convocation meeting this week, I sat down with our Convocation Committee Chair. Nakhin Spadabed of Ararat Lodge and former New England Grand District Representative Nelson Stepanian, and Dirwi Armine Manukyan of Arpiyotiag Number 9 to talk about our upcoming Grand Convocation, what to expect, and what you need to know in order to join us. This is not, Nelson, our first convocation in Boston. We've had a little practice, haven't we?
2: Yes. Uh, in fact, I've been involved with three over the years and uh, before my time. Uh, I know the Audubon Lodge had hosted several others. When was the last one? Last one was in 2017 and prior to that was 2009. What does it feel like for you to attend one of these
0: convocations, and you've been to a number of them over the years, to bring the Knights and Daughters together in one place for so many different reasons, both important business as well as social. What does that mean to you?
2: On a personal level, early on, uh, it felt more of a task because I didn't know folks, and it was hard to uh, get integrated and mix and mingle. About over the years, now that I've built friendships and uh, bonds with my brothers and sisters across the country, it's wonderful to be able to see them at least once a year, get in touch with them, catch up on their family and personal lives, and as well as their lodge and Otiag lives. And
0: Dirui Armine, this is your first uh, grand convocation as Dirui of Arpi Otiag. Uh, what does it feel like for you to be able to have as many daughters as possible coming here to Boston for this special purpose?
3: First of all, thank you for inviting us. My pleasure. Um, and me. Um, yes, this is my first as a daughter, actually, and as a uh, Dirui. It's an honor to host all the guests here in Boston. Boston has a very vibrant Armenian community, and it's um, nice to showcase what we can do. And I love Boston. After Armenia, uh, Yerevan, Boston is my favorite um, city, so I, it's nice to host here and to be able to show, as Nelson mentioned, to all the sisters and brothers from all over the country.
0: And we might mention this is only the second Grand Convocation since the pandemic. The first one was last year, the highway to L.A. in Glendale, California. Tell me a little bit about the process. How did Boston become selected for this year? And again, there were some issues because Glendale was initially supposed to be in 2020. So how did it all come to be that this year We're coming to Boston.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Grand Commander, past Grand Commander, Steve Adams, was in a situation where we had to make some decisions back in the pre-COVID or as COVID was evolving, decisions on whether we were going to have meetings in person. And as a result of several delays and several years of delays, I should say, we got pushed. We were in line to host after Glendale. And we just kept our order of hosting after Glendale and just happened to be that once the decision was made that Glendale would go uh, in person, and then we would be next. So that's where we landed.
0: One of the things about this convocation that differs from the past is that this one is one day shorter. How did that come about?
2: That's correct. Over the last uh, year or so, Nakhkin Avak Sparabed Steve Adams and Avak Dirui Gloria Kerkorian worked together and came up with new protocols for the grand convocation and we're the first uh, host uh, lodge to implement that new protocol with it being one day shorter. Uh, historically, the AVOX Barber, Avok Didui reception would be on Wednesday night, and this time around that will be on Thursday night. We'll have an ethnic night on Friday night and a grand banquet on Saturday, so essentially the entire program is shortened by one evening activity, but we'll continue with the same model in terms of uh, some sites and visitations in the Boston area and, and have a lot of fun.
0: And for those who may not know this is 4th of July week here in Boston, So that's really, I mean, there'll be a lot of people here in the city that week. And uh, for those who may be coming a couple of days early, if you're adventurous and all of that and you don't mind large crowds, uh, you might want to be here on Tuesday the 4th and head down to the Esplanade and watch the Boston Pops uh, 4th of July concert because there will always be a big crowd there. And it's a terrific thing to see. Uh, the decision also did we, Arminé, Even though the number of days is now only three, the business stays the same for both the Daughters as well as the Knights. And really, this is an event where we are planning both organizations for what will be happening For the year ahead, major important decisions are made, aren't they?
3: Yes. Actually, this is when the decisions are made. Any changes to any proposals that are made, this is when everything gets voted and gets uh, discussed. Any business, upcoming business for the year is also being discussed during those meetings. It's also a great way to showcase the talent that we have. We're planning to have a guest from the community, a bright Armenian woman, which is also part of the program. Yes. Basically, that's that's when the decisions for the upcoming years uh, year is being made.
0: And I know that each of the groups, the organizations, the Knights and the Daughters, respectively, will have their business meetings, which are obviously very important because that is where many of those decisions that you talked about are made. And it is also a great time for the social part of it, the networking of seeing the Knights and Daughters whom you otherwise may have just you know, you may see photographs of them on social media or read about them or maybe talk to them over the phone or see them on Zoom. But it's another thing where you can all get together and greet one another. And I know that, my goodness gracious, now I'm having the mental block before Gloria, Alice Kaluskin. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and she said that was the one thing I missed more than anything during the pandemic. She said, not being able to hug my sisters and talk to them, and see them. And I know that we felt the same way as Knights, that, uh, you know, that the interaction, the personal interaction, is, is very important for us, and it always has been. So, I think one thing we should mention are exactly what those days are going to be. The official days are July the 6th, Thursday, Friday, July the 7th, and Saturday, July the 8th. Although, of course, everyone is encouraged to Come on down a few days early, enjoy Boston on this 4th of July week, and maybe if not, if you can't get there early, stick around for a few extra days when it's all over. Tell us, first of all, where will people be staying who come here? What are the accommodations that have been arranged?
2: Yep, uh, my pleasure. And uh, so we will be host the event will be hosted at the Western Waltham Hotel, which is a suburb about 20 minutes outside of the city, a short ride, cab ride by from the airports and from all the areas of interest in the city. We picked this location outside the city to make this as affordable as possible to get as many of our brothers and sisters to attend. We know it's a, an expense to come to Boston with airlines and airfare and all the events and we our goal was to make this as pleasant and reasonable as possible for all our attendees. We do have uh, some great events planned. We do, like I said earlier, some sightseeing scheduled. The details will come out on that very shortly. We have a fabulous entertainer for Friday night. It will be a lot of fun. And then, of course, our grand banquet on Saturday. We will allow for breakfast included rate, which would offer us the opportunity to get together in the morning, spend time together, not have to worry about the logistics of where, how, and all that. We'll be able to congregate. We'll have our own space. And we have uh, plenty of opportunity to mix and mingle over a cup of coffee before we start our hard work.
0: Did we Armini, how important is it for you? And what do you hope that the daughters who come to Boston from around the country will get from this experience? What do you want them to go home with after three days of sisterhood, of this wonderful interaction that they will have with one another?
3: Sure. First of all, great memories, right? Uh, Every event we um, go to, we hope that we're going to have great memories to cherish um, after that. More connections. As I said, this is my first event as a host, and I'm looking forward to meeting those that I haven't met in person. The COVID, during COVID, there has been some Zoom events that i was lucky to actually meet them virtually Mm -hmm. there has been some workshops that i joined during other times there that wouldn't have been an option now with COVID, now we have the means of you know meeting people virtually but not in person so i'm hoping that there will be some great friendships established. And that's first of all, networking, sharing ideas about what we want to accomplish as an organization, which is basically preserving our uh, heritage and making sure that we stay strong here Outside of Armenia and in Armenia, as you know, daughters of Vartan and uh, knights of Vartan are heavily involved in all kind of uh, charitable
0: charitable work. All work o- all over yeah. Armenia with Indeed. the schools
3: and stuff. So that's something that I hope that we will come up with some great ideas and memories.
0: And, of course, this past year, particularly for the Daughters of Vartan, was a very eventful year. There is a new Otyag here in New England. It is up in Merrimack Valley, the Tsuig Otyag, I believe. It's number 33. Yes. Um, I was there for the uh, installation and uh, the institution of that Otyag. It was October 22nd of last year and it was a wonderful event um Didui Gloria and members of uh, the Avak Hort were there the whole tivan was hand. here yeah exactly and it was it was terrific so you know a lot of, of very positive things happening for both organizations and of course the knights and daughters both had their recent Veratats Haydenik last September which is something that we do every year uh the pilgrimage to Armenia i went on the 2021 event didn't get to go last year hoping to go Soon, If not this year, then definitely next year. But I think one of the things that has always impressed me about the Grand Convocations, in addition to being inspired by our leaders, our grand leaders, as well as our local Spadabids and uh, Diruis, is um, the fact that when you leave there, you really feel even more like you are part of that brotherhood and sisterhood. Because you are with other people who want exactly the same thing. We don't. We don't join the Knights and Daughters because we're looking for accolades. We join to make a difference. And when I think of that, I think of the man, whom of course you knew very well, uh, Nelson, who was my dad, Nachin uh, Spaderberg, Jack Midzorian, who uh, loved the Knights of Vartan. He brought me into it. My one regret was that I didn't get to join. I didn't join sooner, despite the fact he wanted me to. And uh, he really instilled in me a love for the organization because we're here to help, we're here to do good, we're here to make a difference, as are the daughters, and they do, we're not looking for a pat on the back. It's hard work, and sometimes it can even be, especially in these last few years when you've got a pandemic going on and people aren't able to get together and there have been problems in Armenia, you know, where you've had conflicts, wars, their own uh, dealings with COVID. And now, of course, the situation in Artsakh, um, it can be frustrating, too. But one of the things that I've learned, and I, I think you can all I'd love to hear what you both think about this, is that despite the trials and tribulations, the work continues to go on.
2: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, David. You know, we're not deterred. Uh, It actually empowers us and motivates us to do more work. Um, I know Avaks Barber Hunan, is very much involved with what's going on in Armenia. He's has his ear to the ground. We have our fabulous liaison in Armenia, Gohar, who does remarkable work in keeping us abreast. And so I know we're very close to that. And you know, your earlier comment about leaving a convocation, I think many of us would use the word rejuvenated, uh, reconnected. You know, we walk away aligned with a new mission for the year, come back to our host lodges, and. Um, talk about what we talked about and share the outcome of our decisions and the business at hand. And speaking of your dad, Knocking's probably Jack, Missouri, and he would always—he was—he was the individual in our lodge, the senior leader who would always give the full recap of exactly what happened at the convocation. And uh, no matter which convocation it was, the detail—the report was very detailed and thorough. And uh, I always. Um, was amazed at how, how much he could retain and he didn't even need notes. No. <laughs> he didn't no. need no. notes. So hopefully we all walk away from from this convocation with the same sense of um, rejuvenation and reconnect reconnection.
0: And the wonderful thing about both our organizations, the Knights and the Daughters, is it, it is an intergenerational organization. Did we Armine? I mean you have daughters, for example, who are in their 20s, and you have others who are in their 80s or 90s. You know, my mother being one of the latter, I say with great pride. And uh, it really doesn't matter because the goal is the same. It's a common goal that we all share, isn't it?
3: Yes, definitely. And I strongly believe that whatever is happening in diaspora needs to have our youth in it. They need to know, because this is a great organization that has been there for decades. And both Knights and Daughters of Vartan, they're doing great mission. They have great mission, doing great jobs in Armenia and in uh, U.S. And our youth needs to know about it. They need to know about it. They need to be encouraged to be part of it because one day me and Nelson are not here. Hopefully the kids will be continuing just the way you're continuing your dad's work. That's a continuous, deliberately, like to continue the work that uh, has been done by our, I don't want to say ancestors, but you know, fathers and mothers. Those
0: who preceded us,
3: sure. And then just to have it continued uh, in our youth.
0: And as you said, when one generation passes, another can will take over, and all that. I mean, I'm a third generation knight myself. My grandfather was with the original Otterdot Lodge when it was founded, and uh, then my father took, you know, came in many quite a few years later. He was a, a knocking, He was a spotted bed. Twice. Split terms, I believe. And then, uh, you know, here I am. Of course, I have a, a 25-year-old who, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll talk to him about that later. He'll actually, be, he'll actually be attending one of our dinners very, very soon. Back, if I can, to the, uh, the Grand Convocation. And uh, what do people need to know right now who would like to come but want to know how to get started and make those initial arrangements?
2: yep so we hope to have our website registration website up and going within a few weeks mid March is our goal March fifteen is our goal to get the site up and live uh we'll have online payments available uh hotel registration links will be there. there will be an early bird special in terms of uh some discounted rates for the events versus uh last minute bookings but all the information will be available We'll have a flyer out shortly and um uh, we won't miss a beat on this.
0: So should people keep an eye on the Knights and Daughters of Vartan website for this? Yes. That? Um, which is K-O-F-V dot org, K for Knights, O-F-O-V, v for Vartan, K-O-F-V dot org. And uh, that will you know, keep you up to date. I also know that it will be on the uh, Knights and Daughters of on Facebook page. And uh, we'll, of course, have more on it on our on our own. Yeah, and there'll be a direct media. link
2: yep. from the KOV.org website.
0: Okay. So say one of your daughters, one of your uh, sisters in RP Otyag, or any other Otyag, for that matter, were to come up to you. Okay, fine, I'm, I go to the meetings, and I take part, and sometimes I'm on committees. But really, what's the big deal about the Grand Convocation? Why should I, you know, come here and spend three days with the daughters I mean what, what will I get out of it and what are they going to get out of it? What's your answer?
3: So the answer would be that um, just like any other meeting um, if you attend and there is there are decisions may, uh, that are being made or offered or you have anything to say, that's the place to actually do it to voice your opinion, to be part of it, to meet as we mentioned earlier, members from other OTACs and uh, lodges. That would be the first, first of all, the my answer. Also, it's a party, right? It's a fun <laughs> party in Boston, why not? Oh, yeah. yes. Uh, to meet your counterparts from uh, different states and to, you know, have fun.
0: And the other thing, too, is that because it is Boston, come on over here. My sister is here, too, and she is um, a member of RP Otjag, and she has been a sister... So, Ruthie, actually, I need you to get next to that microphone for a second there, and I mean right up on it. How long have you been a sister yourself?
4: I believe about 25 years. Okay. So, 25 years. So, mm. that's longer
0: than, certainly longer than me. Is that longer than you, we?: uh, And Nelson? Longer than me. Longer than you? Actually, okay. Yeah,
4: it's actually longer because I was an, a daughter before I was married. So, yeah, maybe about 28 years.
0: Okay. What's your pitch to get people to come?
4: Well, years ago, when people would join, the husband, the knights would join, and then their wives would come along, and it would be great, because then it would be, you know, a unity thing for a family. But today, it's very difficult to get that same consistency, because women are working now, and men are working, and it's a much different place. And years ago, they had grandparents that would take care of the kids. Oh, yeah. So now, that's why, you know, Armina was talking, and Dida, we was talking about having one, Come together. One of the times that we had a luncheon, and when we were in Detroit, instead of everyone sitting with their close friends, they picked names out of a hat. So you had to sit with someone different at a table. Who you didn't Which even was know. amazing, because yeah. then we gained all those new friendships. And everybody actually really liked that idea a lot. So, and, you know, Nelson said, when we go to these convocations, you see people you haven't seen, and you gain that whole new connection like you, they were just at your house last week. And it's wonderful, and it's loving, and it's all giving back to our community, to Armenia and the diaspora. And that's what we're here for.
0: Indeed we are. Thank you, Ruthie. That's my sister, Ruth Medzorian-Falletti, Folletti, is, uh, as you said, a member for 25 years of RP Otiag. And uh, while we're on the subject very quickly of the daughters, I know that one of the events that all of the daughters enjoy attending during the Grand Convocation is the Daughters Luncheon, which I believe this year is on Friday.
3: Yes, it's going to be Friday afternoon.
0: And what is so special about that? Because obviously we, in the Knights don't get to go to this thing but it's always been a very enjoyable thing i remember i took some photographs so i've actually attended a few of them and in uh, in 2019 which was the last one i went to in las vegas not only did they have a speaker and a wonderful lunch they had the entire room set up as a monopoly board and they called it Dovopoly, d o v opoly and everyone had a chance to play and it was a, it was a tremendous amount of fun but it is something that Brings the daughters together and you are, you know, usually there is someone there. I think you were alluding to this earlier, uh, did we, where there would be someone who would be coming, a speaker who will be inspiring and uh, whom they will get a chance to meet one-on-one. And it really makes for a very enjoyable, entertaining and inspiring event, doesn't it?
3: Yes, definitely. And that's basically the workshop that we have as daughters. You mentioned it all already.
0: I did? Okay. What's
3: happening during those events, but yes, we will have very successful Armenian woman as a presenter, as a, as a guest speaker, and hoping to have the fun.
0: And we're looking forward to finding out who that is, and no, I'm not going to press you for it, but uh, I'm sure that whoever it will be, uh, it will be a wonderful choice and someone whom everybody will enjoy getting to hear. Now let's have a little fun here for a, a, a moment or two before we say so long and that is the fact that even though the grand convocation itself is taking place on thursday through saturday july 6th through the 8th as we mentioned at the beginning this is the fourth of july week i did touch upon the uh, fourth, the uh, Boston Pops concert on the Esplanade. But if people have time, we certainly, I think, in, would encourage them to come a few days early if they can or stay a few days after, because there is just so much to do in the city of Boston, if you like history, my goodness, there's nothing like Boston when it comes to uh, historical and cultural uh, things to see. The Freedom Trail, which will take you past any number of historical landmarks throughout the city of Boston. Old Ironsides, of course, the um, oldest commissioned ship in the U.S. military, which is uh, located in Charlestown, I believe. Visiting, and this is a a favorite place of my sister as well as myself, but she, is the one who turned me on to it, which is the North End of Boston, the the Italian North End, where there are no shortages of incredible places to eat. There's the commons, the public gardens, if you want to tour Fenway Park that can be done on certain days and of course the duck tours too which um, hopefully we might have a little more information about at some uh, future time Um, but the duck tours will literally take you on a bus that is shaped like a duck throughout the city of Boston it's a lot of fun and uh, so there's so much to do here and uh, all of it is really close by too and that's that's the best part of this all so we've got uh, still a lot of work to do Nelson and Arminé with regard to uh, the final plans and all of that but uh, right now we're at about the four month mark almost four and a half months until it all begins and so uh, it's something to really look forward to Please keep your eyes and ears out for the latest information with regard to when the registration will begin uh, and make, you know, you can actually, you can make your flights now for Boston. That would be a great thing to do because the longer you wait, the more you may end up paying for airfare. So the sooner you make your flights, the better. And then as soon as the registration is announced, then you can uh, take advantage of that. And we hope that you'll bring your loved ones with you. And it's a great time for all and uh, an important one too. If I may but, add also please. along
2: the lines of coming early, I should uh, mention that the, the rate that we've negotiated with the hotel is available for several days prior to the start of our event mm-hmm. and several days after the event. Um, and if for some reason the block isn't sufficient, um, the hotel has uh um, verbally told me that they would extend the offer. So if anybody has any difficulty getting a room or needs help making arrangements, if the block is full, if they decide to come earlier than the event dates, um, please feel free to reach out to me directly um, and I will assist anybody that needs help along with our registrar, um, Aram Adam Menja. I want to thank both of you. Nakin Spadabed and former Grand District
0: Representative from New England, Nelson Stepanian, as well as Didiwi Armene Manukian of RPOTYOG No. 9 here in Boston for uh, talking with us about the Grand Convocation. And last but not least... My wonderful sister, Ruth Medzorian-Fletty, who is also with RPO number 9, who did not know that she was going to be part of this
2: podcast, <laughs> but I'm glad that you were, Ruthie. Thank you so much. And by the way, Ruth has been part of every convocation I've been a part of, so we're a tag team. I can't do it without her. Oh, terrific. David, I want to take a moment and just thank you for all the tremendous work you do, not just for this interview, but the podcast in general. Well, thank you. Uh, You're a true professional, and now that I've seen the process and uh, how smooth and casual and relaxing you make this process, uh, it really says a lot about um, how, how seriously you take this responsibility and how much of a professional you are. So thank you very much. Uh, for doing this and lending your incredible talent. Oh, thank you very much. That's very kind of you to say, and I love doing it. It's been a lot of fun. I really, I the really organization enjoy it. benefits greatly. Thank you.
0: I'm glad to hear that. Thank, thank you, you so you, much. David. Thank you, Didui. I really appreciate it. My very special thanks to the chair of our Grand Convocation Committee, Nokin SpadaBed, and former New England Grand District Representative Nelson Stepanian. Arpiyotiag Dirui, Armine Manukyan, and Kudig Ruth metzorian Folletti, also with Arpiyotiag, for bringing us up to date on Grand Convocation 2023 here in Boston, the return to Ararat. And here's another piece of news for all of us. The entertainment at our Friday evening kef night on July the 7th will be none other than the talented vocalist Ellie Beberian. Many of us have seen Ellie in his performances throughout the U.S., and also in Times Square in April for the Armenian Genocide Commemoration, which is sponsored by the Knights of Vartan. If you've never heard Eli Beberian, you are in for a treat. Check out his many videos on YouTube, and you'll see what I mean. There will be much more on our Grand Convocation in the weeks ahead on Knights of Vartan social media and in our newsletters and the website at kofv.org. So keep an eye out for that, and we'll see you here in Boston this July. Remember, you can book your flight now to get the best deal and then take advantage of our early bird registration specials once those details are announced. Thanks also to Asped Aram-Arkun, Managing Editor of the Armenian Mirror Spectator, who joined me earlier in this podcast. Of course, all Knights and Daughters of Artan news and information is available through our many media resources. Our website, of course, at kofv.org, the Knights and Daughters of Vartan Facebook page, Plus, you'll find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. In addition to social media, there is also our quarterly digital and print publication, Avidide. You can submit material for inclusion in the Avidide and other media by contacting our liaison in Armenia, Gohar Palian. You can reach our communications office directly at knightsofvartan at gmail.com. And if you're ever visiting Yerevan, Let Liaison Kohar know that you're coming and you can visit with her in our Knights of Vartan office at the Marriott Armenia Hotel in Republic Square. Again, I hope you'll go to our website and Knights and Daughters of Vartan Facebook page, click on the link to the Call to Action for Artsakh Fund and donate what you can to help our brothers and sisters in Artsakh who are still suffering under the blockade imposed by Azerbaijan last December. And to those of you who have already donated, thank you. That is it for this edition of Talking Vartan. Thank you so much for joining me. And if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a future podcast episode, I would love to hear from you. You can contact me through the Talking Vartan Facebook page or by email at TalkingVartanPodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, TalkingVartanPodcast at gmail.com. Talking Vartan, the Knights and Daughters of Vartan podcast is the exclusive property of the Knights and Daughters of Vartan and Asped David Medzorian. Any use of this program without the expressed written permission of both parties is prohibited. It was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who said, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. Thank you for your service to the Knights and Daughters of Vartan. I'm Asped David Medzorian of Autodot Lodge, number one here in Boston. Shinoda Gallen, Sider